Welcome to the 10x Managers Podcast, where we interview different managers and leaders each week to share their experiences, learnings and insights so that you can challenge and support your own professional development. If you're not already a member of the 10x Managers community, go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up. There you will be able to access all our archived content, including video interviews, written learning summaries and resources that help you action and implement all the ideas shared in our interviews. You can also join the community discussion and collaborate with other 10x managers. I look forward to seeing you there. Right, Renaway, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Really excited to be speaking to you and learning a bit more about your experience in management. Uh, Do you want to introduce yourself to the community to kick us off? Yes, thank you, Josh. Um, And thanks for doing this with me. Um, So my name is obviously Renaway and just been kind of working in the sales development world now for coming up to five years um which doesn't feel like that when you're in it um but it's definitely you know not slowing down anytime soon and it's just growing and growing but so i suppose started like most people in the sdr world coming out of uni um didn't really have any idea what i wanted to do um went to university over in England and based in Northern Ireland um, up in Derry and thought I would come home for a year um, work for a year, save some money and go traveling. Um, but then I got into meta compliance um, as an SDR, fell in love with the culture, fell in love with the company and then was an instant love with the role. Definitely not, but started to, to grow some love for the sales development role in the SDR work and kind of just been growing from there ever since. Um, so I obviously, like I said, started started as an SDR, done that for just over a year um, and then kind of, an, in a way, our manager um, at the time had left. And I think I, I was, you know, went for the manager role, maybe thinking it was an interim thing and you know, things started to go really well and, and we kind of grew from there. So four years later, you know, I've, I've kind of moved up and the head of sales development now with some really good managers and, and leaders working with me um, to continue kind of growing the team. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. And it, it's great to hear about how you've uh, moved through the ranks so quickly as well and put yourself into a really exciting position as well where, where you're making a big impact. So looking forward to hearing a bit more about that story today. Um, so let's start uh, in a way with what you see as the role of a manager. Yeah. So my understanding of what a manager is has massively evolved over the last um, four years. You know, I, like most SDR managers who go into the role, had no management experience, um, had no team leading experience, was just good at my job and liked helping people um and got a lot of sat- satisfaction out of helping people and, and really enjoyed using my time to help people um so at the beginning you know was completely overwhelming and I suppose looking back you can pick I really didn't know what I was doing and it was really winging the whole thing and we were all kind of working together to figure out the process but um I suppose now the way I look at my job is really to be the person that can remove any obstacles in the way of the SDRs being the best that they can be. You know, I think there was definitely a time where I was metric 
you know, focused, KPI focused, focused on probably all the wrong things, obviously trying to get the right result. But now we've our team at such a level of um, experience that I sit back and, and let them tell me what they need me to do to get them and help them be successful. Um, you know, if that's what cadences they need, what leads they need, what software they need, um, what they need from me, if it's a weekly, daily, monthly conversations and, and it varies among the team. You know, I've got people that I talk to every single day because we have that we hype, we have that strategizing session. And then there's people who, you know, need to be left and need to work, figure it out and then can come to me when they they have questions or come to me to ask for help. So now my direct management experience with the I suppose the SDRs, the senior uh, SDRs that I would manage directly is really led by them. And then the rest of my time is really about spent developing my managers and, and my team leaders, um, especially, you know, those responsible for onboarding and those responsible for that, I suppose, middle section SDRs where they've done their onboarding, they understand the role. Now they're figuring out where they want to go next. No, that's good. Thank you for sharing that. So it's all about identifying obstacles, removing them, listening and ultimately serving your team to, to help them be successful. I think one thing that many uh, managers struggle with when they view management in that way is how do you actually know if you are doing a good job? Um, because obviously you've got team results that you can go by, but is that actually directly a, a reflection of are you doing a good job as a manager? How do you think about that? That's a really good question. Um, again, I think it's it's a combination of things and Again, maybe something that I, I began with was sort of black and white thinking and and the number of meetings booked in a week was the only measure of success if either me or our team was doing a good job. And that was really my focus. We need to book more. And as I grew into the role, um, that's probably it is important, but definitely not even the most important measure of success within the team. I think the communication, the um, the environment, the openness, the relationships that both my team have with me and with each other and how we interact is really the true reflection of if we as a leadership team are being successful. And I think when we get all of that right, an output is the meetings, an output is the revenue added to pipeline, the output is the opportunities created. But for me, it's now always team first um and conversation first and communication and team spirit and the community and everything else sort of takes care of itself you get that right yeah no mate, mate makes a lot of sense do you do anything in terms of gathering feedback or ha having a direct kind of line of communication where, where you're asking those sorts of questions to see whether you are achieving those things yeah um I mean, to the point where I suppose the team can can get a bit like, no, Renee, we would tell you if there's any feedback that we've got. Something that's really important for us and has been drilled in by Meta Compliance is this kind of extreme ownership um, mentality. You know, it's our CEO would call extreme ownership. It's the book um, or kind of, you know, internal uh, playbook. And we live everything by that. And, and part of that is making sure that you as a leader is are super clear on the why, the why that you're asking anything, the why of, you know, the process, the number of dials, the number of emails, the cadences, the kinds of people you make sure the way, but also you as, you know, an employee 
are not leaving a room without being clear of the way. Um, so that means, you know, we never finish if it's a team call, if it's a one to one, if it's a, you know, boardroom session without a real we're not leaving this room until everyone can feed back to me the way of what we've just okay. talked about um, or, you know, let me make sure that I'm being as clear as possible. So I think just that culture kind of allows there to be if there is any feedback, it's a real safe environment to give it. And, you know, I think that the the output of that is that we don't leave a room, you know, I don't see anyone in my team having any qualms of putting their hand up and saying, don't get it, don't understand it. Why are we doing it this way or challenging my thoughts? And I really appreciate that because, you know, I'm not always going to get it right, you know, and, and without the input of SDRs doing the role and seeing things that I'm not seeing, then, you know, we're not going to kind of keep moving forward. So I think that oh, we're always asking for feedback. They're always asking for feedback. And just in general, because the culture set up that way, it's kind of a, a given that will not leave a room without hearing everything that has to be kind of said. That's great. No, that, that, that's brilliant. So thank you for sharing that. G going to move on to kind of the, the, ne the next topic I wanted to speak about today as well. So it, it's looking at your superpowers as a manager. So when you look at your, your, your performance, how you act as a manager, what do you see yourself being great at? Um, so like when you sent that over, you know, it is, it's always something that you feel like you have to think more about. It's so much easier to, to talk about all the challenges that you face. Um, but one, again, that could, that in times is definitely a challenge, but overwhelmingly, I think, you know, that empathy and that understanding that I've developed and haven't always had that, um, a team or an individual worth is not determined by a number and whatever that number is if it's bookings if it's opportunities and i don't believe anybody wants to come to work and do a bad job they don't intend no one wants to intentionally do a bad job so if something's not going the way we would want it to go reverse engineer that back and find the missing link find what's not working and i'm so confident that me and, and the leadership team have the skills to to fix and coach that missing link and so i think that and creating that safe environment where you know i know that the nature of the sdr role is peaks and troughs you know you're not always going to have good week and you can never stay consistently at the top performing every week but to allow that to be okay and to allow you know, the bad weeks do not even, don't even like calling them bad weeks, but to allow the weeks where the bookings aren't coming or whatever's not coming, to allow them to be okay and to feel that um, and then just focus on controlling what you can control rather than controlling the outputs. I think that's been something, you know, and that mindset has really carried the team through a lot of difficult times because it's so easy to get caught up in the end result. And when you're just looking at the end result, you miss a lot of the process. And then if you're not doing the process 100% correct, you're not going to get the end result. So it's like a whole circle. So I think just creating that safe environment for it without being too cliche, for it to be okay, not to be okay. And for it to kind of, you know, to accept and learn and embrace and want the negative because all of it's a learning. And, you know, uh -huh. like the the most, you know, we're, we get excited about conversations and calls that don't result in bookings because 
what an amazing learning experience you have firsthand to go back, review, see what you might have done different or what you could have done different and potentially learn something that you can take into another call. So I'd probably say overall that sort of not being ruled by the numbers and that that could be a really positive thing for the team. No, that's great. And let's dig into that safe environment a little bit more as well because obviously it's, it's a really important thing that a lot of people talk about needing to create kind of a psychologically safe environment for, for your employees to be able to work in and operate in effectively. What sort of things are you doing to deliberately create that sort of environment? Um, I think, first of all, facing up the truth and facing up what's actually happening and just kind of sets that tone. So for me personally, you know, and again, something that you grow on and work on is when I make a mistake, I talk about it and, and I own it and I make sure that I, I I involve the team in that conversation because um, if I try and hide my mistakes, then that's just setting the precedent that it's okay to do that. And ultimately, everyone will say the mistake is never the issue. The cover up or the, you know, the trying to hide it is always the issue. There's nothing, nothing's that bad that it can't be solved through a conversation, through communication. So that's something that I really do intentionally is own up and face up whenever I make mistakes. Um, I also think you know, even sometimes it's, it's sometimes you have to let things slide and you should let things slide, but also, um, even if it's small or if it's big or whatever it is, but if, if there is a mess up somewhere along the process, calling that out and addressing that in a way that it lets, you know, both everyone know, I see this, you see this, this is what happened, but this is how we can fix it. I think sometimes even though it might not be something needing to address and you could let it slide, but by letting it slide, it's still showing that it's something that needs to be hidden. Whereas if you just address it mm-hmm. head on, um, it gives again then employees more power to come to you whenever there are things that they're maybe anxious about or stressed about or feel like they've made a mistake or are not doing things well. And ultimately, if you don't know about it, you can't help and you can't fix it. So for me, it's just, again, preaching probably the importance of communication and just facing up to it and nothing cannot be solved you know uh, that answers your question no, that's, okay. I think I, yeah no no absolutely did i think i think there's two, two really important points you drew out there i think first one is all about you owning it yourself and showing that it's okay to make mistakes and then actually share them talk about them and show people around you that it's okay to own up to them and take them. And then another one that I really liked that you said there is around kind of blaming process and nobody is intentionally doing things badly and it's normally a fault of a process. And it's similar to where uh, I interviewed a founder called Adam Callow a few months ago and one of his core mantras within the whole company is we blame, we blame process, not people. Um, and he drums that into everybody. And so everybody feels confident enough if things are going badly that they can blame a process and try and fix it rather than have that fear and worry about if this goes wrong it's my fault so i need to try and hide all these mistakes that are going on right now so no i i love both of those i think that they're uh, really really good points that you, that you brought up there um, i think another one that obviously feeds into it actually leads back to your first kind of superpower that you spoke about as well is leading with empathy and making sure that you're always thinking in the best light about people talk to us a little bit more about that because you also mentioned that was potentially a challenge to start with yeah um, so it's interesting because this is something that 
you know, I've had conversations about recently. Um, and I would say that I'm a very colorful thinker um, and always like to add context to everything. Um, even sometimes maybe unjustifiable and, and, and you know, then a lot other leaders and, and our organization are very black and white and, you know, you are, you're not, especially when it comes to meeting targets and hitting targets, which I also find um, very inspirational because I think there's a need for both. Um, so when it comes to that kind of empathy thing, I, again, going back, I don't believe anyone wants to do a bad job. I don't think anyone wants to underperform. Nobody wants to feel like they're not fulfilling the expectations of their job role. So if something isn't going right, as in if we take it on the most, um, you know, the, the easiest metric, the meetings booked aren't coming, then start with that, you know, start with that. Okay, X amount is the meetings you need to book. This is what you've booked. How did we get there? And, and if you always start at the end point and reverse it back, there's no doubt in my mind that you're able to find, you know, what works, what you're not doing enough of, what you are doing enough of and, th and fix it. But sometimes it's very easy to just say they're just not working hard enough. They're just not doing enough, you know, and put these blanket statements on it. They just don't want it enough. They're not sending enough dials. They're not whatever. Um, and I think that can be really detrimental because that way you're putting somebody in a box who might not just necessarily have the tools or the insight or whatever it is to figure it out for themselves, which missing link is is not working. So that's what I mean. But then at the same time, you know, I could take that maybe too far. And, and there's definitely a time where you're doing everything that you can do to help support and try and find this link. And you can't ultimately pick up the phone for people or send the emails for them. So there's that balance of making sure that the support is there and giving them the opportunity to grab it by both hands and use it or ultimately decide that actually the work required to be good at this isn't not, you know, something that I am willing to give and that's okay as well. It's not for everybody. So that's sort of, I suppose, the part where I maybe struggled with in the past was giving too much empathy and too much context and, and blaming too many external things when sometimes the role and the expectations and what you need to do to fulfill the role just doesn't align with somebody's values or what they want out of life. And you can't fit, you know, a circle and a square box. Um, and that's sort of, yeah, that's kind of what I mean. And, and it's, like I said, it's a really important balance. So what, what are you doing now, now that you've identified that as a challenge? What, what sort of things are you doing to try and help you identify that balance, identify that line when it isn't, a process problem actually it's a people problem yeah um well thankfully i have like i said really good um leaders around me that kind of can we can have that conversation and lean on and decide together okay have we done everything that we can do in our end but i suppose it comes down to in a way people and performance management um obviously you want to identify gaps as soon as possible so you can fix them as soon as possible and um, we have our own structures in place you know where there is a process for missing target and, and how many times you're missing target and then what we do and i think for me i'm very confident and comfortable in what um i can support somebody with and you know when you've seen it so much i know that we can help and the process can work and all of this stuff i know if you do x you'll get x over the course of time 
but so it's really starting at that end point reversing it back and making sure that you are a documented and supporting and showing the support that you're going to give um but making it really clear of what the outcome of you know somebody not taking up that support or not following the process and not following the steps is going to be so there's no uh misalignment there there's no confusion and the goal is always to put it you know really put it back on them and and recently you know we've had people just realize that actually i understand what's required and what i need to do to get x i just don't want to and 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 i'm not ready or willing or you know able to do that so that's okay and being okay with that and and again back to that safe environment thing where they feel okay to tell us that and then it's all it's you know it's a nice conversation okay how can we help you know where they you know they'll move on to wherever they're going to move on is there a role with a meta compliance it's better suited brilliant is there a role externally it's better suited brilliant but ultimately it saves i suppose the heartache and drama that can come with not being upfront and honest of what's expected and required and someone else not feeling comfortable enough to say that's a lot and i don't want to do it no, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and that performance management process where you do start setting expectations and, and you start sharing what is required for them uh, to, to continue doing what they're doing. Is that something that you have a formal process that you follow as part of Meta Compliance? Or is that something that is kind of more done on your own feeling and how, 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 how you work? Better both. Um, you know, we have definitely our own sales development, SDR monthly conversations that we address and look at everything from metrics to feelings to just everything that's kind of happening and that that check-in um you know and if if targets aren't being met we always start you know it's a very for us it's a very i want to say easy fix because you know you can look at bookings and okay as your connect as your conversion from connected calls to bookings made low if that's the case a lot of coaching on your calls, let's listen to calls. What outcomes are you getting from your calls? We can fix it that way. Is your dial to connect rate low? And is that you're not getting any connections? Therefore, you're not getting the opportunity to book a meeting. Therefore, you're not booking the meetings. Is that low? Okay, maybe we've got a data problem. You know, what kind of data are you adding into your cadences? What kind of leads are you prospecting? Are you having the right numbers? Are you having the right emails? And so I think for us, it's very, it's a very easy um, conversions mm-hmm. and, and change. So we start there. And I suppose ultimately, if, you know, that becomes a, a quarterly thing or six monthly thing, um, that's when we could introduce the meta compliance performance um, kind of underperformance procedure, but never without us finding out that missing link first, because sometimes you can be doing it all correctly and the meetings just aren't coming and that's okay like we said the sdr that the nature of the sdr rule you can't judge an sdr based on a week based on a month you know even based on two months i've seen sdr give it all give it their all and they're doing everything right and just the meetings aren't coming so it's taking everything into consideration is the behaviors attitudes and, and inputs there if they are there the meetings will come no doubt in my mind if they're not there then we might have a problem. Let's figure out why they're not there. Let's figure out how we can get you there. And if they're not, if the results aren't there and the inputs out there aren't there, okay, then then we're probably going to have 
um, an underperformance conversation and, and set really clear goals that we need to hit. And, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. No, makes a lot of sense. So thank you for sharing that. I'm uh, going to pivot the conversation slightly onto maybe the biggest challenge that you've faced um, in, in your management career so far. So does anything come to mind? Um, I mean, probably the, the first challenge that I faced was that transition. And I suppose everyone talks about it. Um, it's a transition from SDR into, into management and to managing your peers, your teammates, your colleagues. Um, and that was difficult for sure because I, I was under no illusion that, you know, the people in my team were just as good as me at booking meetings, better in, instances, you know, and that sort of, imposter syndrome always creeps in um especially I suppose when I, I started this when god 23 um was coming into this role and really wasn't backing myself the way I should wasn't seeing myself the way other people were, were seeing me and I think that that delayed a lot of the good that I I could have done earlier because I was questioning myself and second guessing myself um and I suppose really that that saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room or you're in, you're the dumbest person in the room um, is something that I've had to learn because I wanted to know it all. I wanted to be the smartest person in the room. And if I wasn't, then I felt that I wasn't worthy to be there or whatever it was. So having to retrain that actually the power and knowing what you're not good at and recognizing what you're not good at and either definitely working to get better at it but also getting the help when you need to get the help and, um, you know, reaching out and delegating those things that you're not good at, prioritizing getting them done over you being the one doing them, yeah. I think was something that has been, you know, a challenge in, in my career. And again, something, you know, where done is better than perfect. That's kind of something that we go by in, in meta compliance, but for a long time, I, would have wanted a perfect before I sent it out, meaning processes were delayed, meaning cadences were delayed, meaning, you know, I actually wasn't giving my team the best shot at success because I was so wrapped up in getting it perfect before it went anywhere. So, I mean, that um, is de was definitely a challenge and still something that I am working on in terms of, you know, defining things. Um That's a tough one because you could, there's challenges, there's so many challenges that you face as an SDR and as an SDR manager. Um, I mean, we, nobody in the SDR team or in actually our sales function has ever worked in an SDR role, SaaS company. Um, or has came with any kind of experience. You know, we're based obviously over in Derry and for a long time, we were the only um, SaaS company that had this set up, you know, obviously taken completely from the sales development playbook by Trish um, Bertuzzi, but that was kind of, we were the only people. So we had to figure it, literally figure it out while, you know, build the plane while we were flying it. Um, and I think that was a challenge and that there was no precedent. There was no, you know, <laughs> seeing what worked before us. And 
get recruitment, you know, and recruitment's a, a, a world like wide thing at the minute. There's lots of people recruiting and there's lots of roles and there's lots of people looking for roles. But for us and where we're from, it's just a completely different um mentality. It's a different kind of, of people. And we just, you know, had to basically grow everybody from the ground up. Um, which is something that I love because it means that anyone can be successful at it. Um, but it's definitely been a challenge because, you know, no one's coming with that experience at all. What's the hardest thing about bringing someone with no experience in, into the world and, and actually teaching them about SaaS, teaching them how to be an SDR, teaching them about the industry? Where, where's the biggest challenge lie as a manager there? The biggest challenge, 100%, is the mindset aspect of being an SDR and having to train people's mindset and having to train um, people to, again, be okay with not being okay. That, without a shadow of a doubt, that gut-wrenching feeling that you have when you leave a day without booking a meeting, that feeling of coming into a day, not knowing where you're going to get a meeting from, that overwhelmingness of dialing a hundred people in a day and nobody picking up and having no conversation but somehow having to pull them out the motivation to come in the next day and do it again and um, that without a doubt has been the most difficult part of you know onboarding training and, and recruiting people without this experience because they're going why would I like this is so difficult why how do people enjoy this and when they're not seeing the win quickly it's hard to just maintain that momentum but you know, once obviously the worse the days, the better the the highs and the better when you book the meeting. And once you kind of get that um the insight into that, everything becomes a lot more clear. And you know, we've got SDRs now on the team who have been SDRs for four years and who are still absolutely in love with it. And I suppose on a flip side, to them not having experience or there not being a lot of that around here, it's so rare to have SDRs be SDRs for four years. And that is because once they got in, they got hooked in that adrenaline of, you know, the chase for booking the meeting. And they are so aware of the mindset side of things that they don't let the down days distract them from the goal. So, you know, we've got that as well. But yeah, the the kind of mindset and, and making sure that people don't feel like failures just because they might not have booked a meeting that day and keeping them kind of motivated has is definitely the most difficult part. Do you think that mindset is something that you can learn or is that something inherently you either have or you don't have? So you'd have you have to actually more look to hire it. Honestly, if you if you asked me that question two years ago, I'd say you have it or you don't. You know, I would say without a doubt, you, you know, are this aggressive, assertive kind of hungry person and you come in and you want it or you don't. But I've definitely developed and changed that mindset. And I do think it can be trained and I think it can be you know coached and I think it could be pulled out of people who might not necessarily be it might not be the you know the top part of their personality at all time uh -huh. but I think everybody's got resilience to come back and work hard if they're nurtured in the right kind of way so I do think it can be trained that's great and I guess, I guess a lot of it all comes back to that kind of safe culture safe environment as well where they, they learn that it's okay as you said not to be okay and to be doing having bad days and, and it's okay as long as you come back and you, you go again then uh, success will be around the corner so I really like that I think that's a really good way to think about it I just want to pull you back to the imposter syndrome piece as well you spoke about a little bit earlier as well because um, I think that's common amongst so many people when particularly when we go into kind of 
our first management role, I, w- I was there with you as well. Uh, but also I, I speak to very senior leaders that get it every time they start a new role or start at a new company as well and feel like, oh, this is a jump that I don't, I don't quite feel that I necessarily deserve. So what, what, what did you do and how did you get yourself comfortable with being in that situation? Yeah, so it's so funny because I really only started to understand what imposter syndrome was in the last year. I knew I felt something. I just didn't know what it was. I thought it was me. And like, obviously through reading and understanding it more, that's what imposter syndrome is. But this feeling of, you know, you're going to get caught out. Someone's going to find out that you don't know what you're doing or, you know, someone's, you know, if there's a, an aha moment or this is all like a trick or something. That was like this overwhelming feeling that I had for so long that I felt like a fraud. I felt like, what am I doing? Like, are, do they believe me? Like, I don't know what's happening. And then honestly talking to, you know, senior leaders in, in medical compliance, I can remember one conversation um, that I had with our HR director who I looked at you know as absolutely has their shit together knows everything about everything like so confident speaks so well all like really really look up to her and still do um you know but when she started talking about do you not think when I you know go and do boardrooms or when I do this that I have this feeling as well like sometimes I just have to pinch myself and go how are all these people listening to me? I don't know what I'm doing. That kind of made me start to think, oh my God, it's not just me. And then, you know, we have a, a I suppose a coach mentor um, as well, who who I've started working with and she recommended um, the book Lean In, Shelley Sandberg. And that again, just put all my thoughts into words um, and made me realize that I wasn't mental. This was a real thing. Um, and, it just normalized it and it kind of you know gives you the sense to own your space there's a reason why you're doing what you're doing you know people like look around you if you don't trust yourself trust the people around you that you're working with if you you know my boss for example look up to him completely and um you know has created this whole thing so if I put so much trust in his judgment, why can't I trust that what he sees in me is, is true and accurate as well? So I think that's kind of, it's still working on it. So you still get, what am I doing here moments? But recognizing that everyone feels that way and own your space and stop and look back and reflect and go, actually, I did do that. You know, would that have worked out the same way without me? Did I did create that? You know, you've people coming up, getting promoted, buying houses, buying cars, doing all this stuff that you have might have played a tiny part of it, like, and, and they own that and, and celebrate yourself a wee bit. I think I think that's great advice in a way, so thank you for sharing that. I think, I think one of the biggest things that people can take from that as well is, first of all, it's okay to feel that way, but also it's okay to talk about it and share it with other people around you who can give you that reassurance and that confidence as well that, that it's completely normal and you're in that place because you deserve to be in that place because someone's seen something you and, and put you there. Um, so that's great. Um, final question then, anyway. So um, looking back over your management career so far, um, and it's a question we ask everybody, um, it's to tell us about a time that's had maybe the biggest impact, the thing that stands out to you. Um, and when we say impact, it could be impact on yourself or your team or an employee. Um, but just the thing that stands out as having the biggest impact on you as a manager so far. 
Um, okay, I think the bit, and it's it's happened quite a while ago, but it's still something that I, I come back to and I'm proud of and think that it's changed the direction of the sales kind of development team um, and meta compliance. And it was, I suppose, the creation of, so it was putting, it was making sales development a department in its own right for a long time. We were an extension of sales. You know, we were maybe just the, the wee brother, the wee sister. We were, you know, it was always talked about how important what we do was. You know, it was so important. We needed this. The pressure was there. But the action maybe didn't always back up the importance of, of our role. And in order to be seen as successful or to make money, um, you needed to progress into another department, if it was into AE, if it was into customer success, wherever it was. And that never sat right with me, A, from doing the role and seeing the work and the hours and the commitment and the dedication of the people on, on the SDR team. Um, in order for them to progress in their career, they need to change what they're amazing at, what they love, in order to get a bit a bit more money or whatever it is. So I think there I can see there's a lot of organizations doing this now, but I can remember at the time, you know, trying to reach out to get just feedback. What do you think? How should we do this? There wasn't being done a lot. And that was that SDR progression path that you could create within the SDR team. Meaning if you're amazing at your job, if you love doing your job, if you finally feel like you've conquered it, um, why do you need to go somewhere else to get paid a bit more money? So it was creating that those levels within the SDR team and making sure that that the SDR team was seen no longer as that entry level role. Is there still elements of coming in being an SDR? If you could learn everything, we always say if you can be an SDR, you can be anything. Like there's no doubt in my mind. If you can be an SDR, you can do any job because there's no other job you're going to face the rejection and need the resilience and need to overcome as much. Um, so if it's the hardest job, why was it, you know, paid paid the least? Why was it seen as the lesser role? So creating that development now where we have, you know, our top SDR is earning, you know, more than some of the junior AEs and that's okay. If they if they want to go and progress in day, that's okay. If they want to progress in day CS, that's okay. If they want to progress in day customer onboard, and that's okay. And we have SDRs in all of those departments who are flourishing. But if they want to stay as an SDR and they're really good at it, that's okay as well. And that shouldn't be looked down at. And they should still have the opportunity to earn as much money and progress through the business and be seen as uh, as a senior member of yeah. of Meta Compliance just as much. No, absolutely. And I think, like you said, that that's something that doesn't exist across every organisation either. So is that something that you had a role in lobbying for and, and, and making that happen? Um, I would go as far as to say I, you know, created that happening um, 100%. It wasn't in place when I was an SDR. Um, you know, it was one of the first things I can remember, you know, it, it wasn't instant, but it was one of the first things that I wanted to address, which, which was this sales development is its own department in its own right and should be treated as such. It's not an extension of, you know, sales A's. It's not an extension of, of CS. Sales development is as important as any other department. So let's treat it that way, you know, and then we started to 
create okay is there a progression here within senior there's senior sdr now we've got four levels of of sdr each you know with higher salary bracket each with more opportunity to earn each with more responsibility and you know i think that's just set the standard like and, and worked really well that's great and that's so impressive as well because i think one of the um natural things when you become uh, a manager and a leader of a team particularly earlier on in your career is you feel that whilst you're in that position of leadership you don't necessarily have the power to make real change within your team and actually affect the way the organization's being run but you clearly did have that confidence and you clearly did lobby around you and make sure that people bought into that vision as well so i mean i could speak to you about this for about another 20 minutes but we probably shouldn't go on for that long um but first of all how did you get the confidence that do you know what this should happen and i have the conviction to to, to make sure it happens um, and then also how did you set about starting to convince the people you need to convince to actually enable these changes to, 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 to be put in place yeah so i think honestly the, the probably the first part of that and is is meta compliance and is the company that you know i, I work for they have never given me reason to believe that there is any glass ceiling that there's any question i can't ask there's nothing that i can bring to them and the support um across the business you know is just second to none so i think that kind of that fr from the get-go allowed me to have the confidence you know i have a really great relationship with um my manager who again encourages me to come up sometimes they're mental and sometimes they get shut down and sometimes they don't but I never have a fear of kind of asking for that and I think him seeing the passion in me for sales development um definitely just give him the confidence to trust my judgment and and what I think is best for the team and he definitely you know backs sales development you know and and everything that we're doing 100 percent um as a as an organization we probably are a bit different to other organizations and that our outbound function um you know was kind of we started with that and are now growing into that marketing inbound side of things and we have a really really strong outbound sales development and i mean for the last four years the majority of everything that we are doing has came from the SDR team. So once you can, I suppose, quantify the work that you're doing and say, well, like it's very clear to see the impact that we're having, why not make sure it's an environment that people thrive in and want to stay in and want to progress in? Because ultimately if we are only given, if the only choice SDRs have it, to make money or to progress is to leave, when they could actually still be contributing so much more to pipeline than they might even in those other roles we're really shooting ourselves in the foot why not give them the environment where they can grow mm -hmm. and ultimately through them going and taking on more responsibility and having more opportunity still all feeding into the pipeline um you know and then once you start talking about how much more you're going to get on the pipeline um and how much more revenue is going to be generated to the cro that yours definitely perk up for that. So <laughs> it's going with, um, it's always for me going with, and, and this is something, you know, I've been taught ideas are amazing, you know, but come with the evidence and come with the execution plan and come with the impact it's going to have to the business. And that's when you get, you know, taken a bit more seriously and you can have those real conversations because you don't want to come to them with, um, the people you have to convince with an idea and then make them work out how it's going to work. That's more, 
um, more on their plate that they don't have. But if you come and you can, you have a real plan of how it's going to work, what impact it's going to have, the execution start strategy, then, you know, it's a lot easier to convince people. Thank you for listening to the 10X Managers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you can keep up to date for when we interview different managers and leaders every week. Remember, if you're not already a member of the 10X Managers community, go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up. There you can join the community discussion, access all our archived content and resources that ultimately help you to take action and make change.